Welcome to the Sweat Elite Podcast. This is Matt, the co-host of the Sweat Elite Podcast. Thanks for tuning into this episode. This episode is part two of the interview my colleague Tate Herps did with legendary ultra runner and skyrunner Kilian Jornet. In part one of the interview with Kilian, published last week on the Sweat Elite Podcast, Kilian talks about his upbringing, how he got started in the sport of running, ultra running and sky running. He talks about some of the mistakes that he's learned from in the past in both training and racing, talks about altitude training, what it means to him, some of the benefits of altitude training, and he also shares a few stories from some of his projects that he's been working on over the last few years, including summiting Everest twice in a week without using supplemental oxygen. So that's all part one published last week on the Sweat Elite podcast. In part two, this episode, Kilian and Tate speak about training, nutrition, and some of the experiments that Kilian has conducted in his career. For example, Kilian shares what it's like switching gears from training for summiting Everest to training for a shorter trail event. He talks about his weekly mileage, what it's like training for a longer ultra event that's more technical as opposed to a shorter trail event that may be more flat. He talks about the ideal amount of time between races so that he can cover both bases, going back to basics and a specific period. He talks about recovery and talks in great detail about nutrition, including sharing some stories from some of the crazy experiments that he's conducted over the last few years or throughout his whole career around fasting and training sleep deprived as well as others I do have to warn you that there are a couple of very short sections in this interview that the internet cuts out, only for maybe five to 10 seconds maximum. Do apologize for these where the internet cuts out, but you can make out what Tate and Kilian say even during those parts. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode, second part of the interview that Tate conducted with Kilian Jornet. Do you think that something like that hypoxic tent is or mask is very specific to what you were doing in Everest or would you or do you use it for training for other events as well that are at lower altitudes? I, I has been uh, trying and, and like doing different protocols, but I don't see the same interest. I actually think it, it works on acclimatizing, but you need to spend a lot of hours like to do like uh, 5, 10, 15 hours of training on altitude, it's better you don't. Uh, like to acclimatize for Everest, I think I spent uh, in the month prior to going there like 200 hours on the tent. And that that makes that starts to make a difference. But um, if not, it's not worth it. And for um, low altitude, I don't think it works. Like. I haven't seen any difference on training in the tent or without the tent for like uh, races up to 4,000 meters. Okay. And is, is the idea with the tent that you're in a hypoxic state and generating more red blood cells, which will help at altitude? So uh, actually, I would say when you acclimatize, the first response uh, is like you just breathe more. So that's when you go up to mountain, like you normally need to breathe more. The second response is, as you said, like to to increase the amount of like uh, red blood cells, but that's also a short term adaptation. And actually, the the last one is to or like you increase the hematocrit, and then you increase the the enzymes, so the Hif one, so you can diffuse more oxygen to the muscles. 
that means that probably your uh, hematocrit, like your red blood cells will decrease when you are completely acclimatized. Yeah, that needs time. That needs one month normally. And then you can be well acclimatized at 6,000 meters. And that's the maximum altitude that you can be like totally acclimatized. So I'd love to get into some of the preparation that you do for other races. I know in the documentary, there's that scene where I think at about yeah 23 or 24, you're in a race and you start breaking out in tears. You're completely over it. And that's sort of when you you know started off on the summits of my life journey but racing is something that you've come back to and i read an article that you put up on your site the level of detail that you go into is just amazing the last few days i've been seeing all your algorithms for how the speed is affected by carrying weight and altitude and distance and you've got all of your training logged on there for public to see which is really cool uh, but I'd, I'd love for you to tell us a bit about how you go for you know, shifting from something like Everest to preparing for a specific shorter race, short in your context being about marathon distance like Zegama or Sierra Zinal. Yeah, like that. That's what I find the most interesting about uh, about training. It's it's how you can. Uh, adapt your body for different events and, and that's that's what I, it's it's really interesting me is how to be able to perform in, in very different disciplines like uh, a vertical kilometer that is like a 30 minute effort to go from there to a like um, 40 50 hours effort or to go for uh, like a, from a Sierzinal that is a race that you need to run fast to like a climbing a mountain that when you go very fast like you go at one kilometer for three, four hours speed. So that, that's like from a kilometer at, uh, in three minutes to a kilometer in three hours. That's, that's the range. And, and you are probably like going, pushing as hard in both. So that's what is interesting, how to change. And like, I believe that I just need to check how much time I have between two different projects. So for example, let's say like uh, it's a climbing project in uh, May. And then I have a race, like a short distance race in uh, July and then a ski race in uh, December. So it's like, okay, I have like two months to prepare for this uh, project or this project or this project. And then I try to periodize the training, the specific training in, in the short term, like in one to two months, knowing that uh, during all year round, I do some basics. So I'm able to switch from one kind of effort to the other. Okay, and so is your ideal length, I guess, for a cycle of periodization to be uh, around four to eight weeks? Yeah, I would say like four to eight weeks. It's a good, like there you can do some good uh, good training. You can really start to really periodize and you can really start to build a, for a specific form. That don't happen often, like uh, in busy schedules, like to have uh, this much time, like to have eight weeks to prepare for a specific goal if i have like uh, eight to 12 weeks then it's uh it's really a good time to to work the basics and specific training and with say a 12-week block before something like sierra zinal how would that look compared to a 12-week 
block leading up to a hundred miler like UTMB or Western States? For a short race, a marathon or like a Sierginal fast race, I will work more speed. So probably some BMA, like some track sessions or some speed, some uh, short intervals from one minute to threshold intervals. Uh, so I will base at least three days a week on doing um, speed, and then like probably one day a week to do uh, uphill speed. And actually, in terms of distance, I would run more or less the same, uh, around like uh, 190 to 200 kilometers per week. But I will do my easy runs easier and my hardest runs harder. If I'm preparing a ultra a long distance, I would do not much uh, speed, like uh, not at all, or maybe just a little in case I have a short race after, but that's more like thinking about the after. But I would do more uh, average uh, speed, never very easy runs, never very fast runs, but uh, try to do longer days. Uh, in terms of of kilometers, it will not change a lot. Like I would not do more than 200 Ks or 220 Ks a week, but it will probably more like more in the mountains, more like on, on terrain. So not that specific. I would say it's more just to go out every day and to do 30, 40 K on average pace and to limit like the, the quality work. Yeah, not not to do any short, short intervals. Okay, so a lot more polarization of the intensity when you're doing preparation sure, for yeah. a shorter race. Okay, yeah. and so I'm guessing that means that the total time on feet goes up quite a lot for preparing for something like UTMB just because you're running longer up in the mountains and a bit lower intensity? Yeah, exactly. So it will be kind of the same kilometers at the end but it will be much more hours. So like uh, a week, maybe for short distance, I would train, uh, let's say 200K and it can take like 200K with 10, 12,000 meters of elevation in uh, 20 hours or, uh, or 18 to 20 hours. And for an ultra, it will be maybe like 200K, but maybe more elevation like uh, 15 to 20,000 meters of elevation. And that would be more in like uh, 28 hours so it's more hours more elevation but uh, less speed okay and in the article that you put up your your post you spoke about incorporating quite a bit more running on flat surfaces in the past year over last summer and how that affected your race results could you tell us a bit about that process and how you incorporated it and how you felt the whole procedure went yeah, that, that was fun. I has never, never run on flat, like never, literally, like I only crossed roads. Uh, <laughs> I had like for the last 20 years, except last year, I think I might have run what, like 100 kilometers on the roads on like 20 years. I was <laughs> only like running. I, I never count the kilometers. I was only counting the vertical meters and and as steep as, yeah, I was just looking for steep paths to go. And last year I started to train, to train on flat and, and it, it has been significant. I has been improving a lot. Also because change, like after 15 years training kind of the same method, just to change the method, it means, 
it means uh, another stress to the body, so it means like improvement. Flat was my, uh, yeah, where I was the worst. Like I was a good uphill cl uh, runner and a good downhill runner, but I was a very, very bad flat runner. So uh, only with uh, one year of training more specific, I, I could see that I improved a bit on that. And it has been fun, actually. It, it's, it's fun to see that, um, that it's possible to improve. Mm. And do you think that the reverse applies to you know, most runners who are focusing on flat running on road 10Ks or marathons? Do you think they would see a lot of benefit for more mountain running? I think so in terms of um, general strength. So they will work much more first all what's like proprioception so the ankles and like uh, the, the body balance, all this. Uh, and then also like you work much more the bo 2 max. Like mm -hmm. it's uh, when you run flat, it's very, very hard to work the bo 2 max. When you run like on, on mountains, on uphill, like if you go to a 30 to 40% incline and you run and you do intervals there, like you really work the bo 2 max. So I would say, to work that for sure. Then going back to specifics, if you want to really perform on flat, then you need to have like slim legs and you need to have like low muscle. So that means that uh, if you run a lot of up and down, you will increase the, the muscle. So you will lose a bit on there. So I think only depends what's, what are you looking? Probably if you want to run like, um, let's say like around like 30 minutes, 10K, then it doesn't matter if you run a lot of mountains because it's not at that point that you need to perform well. But if you are uh, like a pro and you need to run like uh, 27, 28, then yeah, of course, I think probably running a lot on the mountains, it will, uh, it will make uh, uh, negative effects. But yeah, I mm -hmm. think all it depends like how specific you want to have the training. Okay. And were, were you doing just your sessions on flat or were you doing quite a lot of your running on the flat in this past summer? Mm, not or like I did like uh, the sessions. So I was actually doing three flat sessions a week. So my, my week was mostly like one day speed. So uh, like track session. So 400 meters, 200 meters. Uh, 600 meter repetitions, another day like long intervals, so threshold, so like from 1,000 to 5,000 meter repetitions, that was on the road, and then I was doing one day like a, more like a tempo run, so like a 30, 40 kilometers run on roads too, and the rest of it it was uh, all on trails, so like a one day trails with low elevation, so if I was doing like 20k it was around like 1,000 meters of elevation, so pretty flat. And then the other days was like more like mountain day. So if I was doing like 20K, it was more like two to 3,000 meters of elevation and, uh, and one specific day of like uh, uphill strength. So that's like a session that I do a lot. And I think it's very interesting that is like I, I have a... 700 meters uh, elevation trail just by my house that it's uh, very short, like in less than two kilometers. And uh, I do like three times that. So you do like 2000 meters of elevation in, uh, in less than two hours. 
and just trying to to work on that. So I think that's a, also a very good session for mountain running. Okay, and did you see quite a lot of improvement in say the speed that you were doing your 30 to 40K threshold or tempo run in over that process? Uh, mostly I would say the, the economy was much better. Like at the beginning, to run at certain speed, I really need to work hard. It was hard, like I really need to push. And after some months of training, I would say that it was much easier to to get at certain speed. And it was like, uh, I could run like, for example, like say like uh, the tempo run at uh, 3.30. At the beginning I could run that, but then I really need to put a lot of effort on it. And at the end it was like, I could da do that like every day kind of. So I would say it's, uh, yeah, it, it, I really saw the, the improvement, yeah. The the bigger runs where you're doing a lot of climbing, is that at an intensity that you would consider it more of a recovery run or it's just low intensity endurance running? How do you picture those runs in the scheme of your training? It's a, it's a low intensity, but normally actually when I do my mountain runs, it's low intensity because they are long, that they can be four or five hours. But actually, normally, I it's so varied. So like some moments, like it's uh, pushing hard because it's a steep uphill. So then like I, I go in a good uh, good intensity, but then it's some very technical section. So then you go very low intensity because the terrain don't yeah don't allows. So it's it's very it's a lot of up and downs actually on the on the speed. Uh, never maximal, but I would say it's between. Yeah, it go so it can go up to to threshold pace for some minutes during these trainings because, but then it's because it's steep, so it's like it's a hard uh, cardio workout, but it's a very easy workout for the legs. I would say. Mm, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and how did? Did all of this translate to your race performances when you were doing this experiment? Uh, well, yeah, I performed much better than the years before, but I also think it's because I was racing less. Uh, before, like previous years, I had been racing some years around like 40 to 50 races a year uh, in ski mountaineering plus trail running. And then it was in the races, you are always thinking a bit about the next race. So it's like, okay, if I can save a bit here, it's better. And then um, the training, it was never so specific. It was more like to have a average fitness and then like just to do this race and the race and the race and the race. I believe it was more that I could really do a lot of good training weeks for like a few specific goals. So it was uh, mentally when I went to the race, I was like, more committed on like uh, giving everything and then it was just best preparation because it was less less races what it means less rest days uh, and less um uh yeah when you are racing like you are not training a lot because it's more resting and just like uh, uh doing easy runs so less racing it means like more training mm, okay and so the races that you did over last summer the main ones in at least part of the Golden Trail World Series with Zagama, Sierra Zanel, and then Pike's Peak, along with the finale in Annapurna. But the the three uh, first ones that I mentioned there, they were all in the uh, this 
space of about 12 weeks. So what what is it about the trail running, I guess about trail running or the community in trail running that means that you race so much more frequently than say a road marathoner because these races are all around the marathon distance and have quite a high level of impact but they are packed so closely together i think the the impact is very different because uh for the muscles it has nothing to to do like uh, you can run a uh, hundred miles in the mountains and, and like two days after you can start training well again because uh it's is not any step that is the same movement so the muscles are working very differently like uh, uh, i would say when you run on a road like it's repetition so like all the steps they look the same so the muscle is just like doing the same exact movement for like uh, two hours uh, and that means that uh, these specific movements have a huge stress what means that it will need uh, better recovery in the mountains, probably, if you could analyze in a marathon how many times the muscle has been just moving the same way, it will be very few because every step, like uh, you put the feet in a different incline, you have a, a different like uh, power you need to push or it's more in retention. So the, the muscles work very differently. So that means that the recovery will be go faster because it's, it's not the same amount of impact. So I think that's why you can race more doing, um, yeah, mountain running. And that's why, like, on ski, like, uh, when we do the ski mountaineering season, there you do, like, uh, three races, two, three races per week during uh, three months. So, like, you are competing, like, uh, almost every, yeah, every weekend, two, three races, and, and it's okay because it's much less impact. So I think it's just a question of like how how is the muscle recovery? Because the cardio, uh, the cardio at a certain point, like you you are recovering well. I know you have had a couple injuries, like your you broke your patella at 18, and then more recently you had a double uh, bilateral shoulder operation combined with a broken fibula. But have you had many problems with overtraining injuries or overuse injuries? Not much, actually. And uh, I think I'm, I'm lucky for that because I, the only injuries I had, it was from accidents. When I started to run more on roads, uh, I had a bit uh, more problems on like the core, like uh, the pulvis, but uh, never never big things like it has never last more than one week i would say uh the, the muscle problems or that so never long term okay and you do cross train a lot um i know you're skiing most of the winter and you've said previously that you won't run if you can ski um, yeah. because it's a lot more fun i guess so how do you treat cross-training when you're in a specific block for, say, Siazinal or UTMB? Are you, is it still forming a major part of your training? Yeah, I would say it's more like season-based. Uh, in winter, I will do skiing, mostly. Like, I will only run on my afternoon session. So it's about, like, skiing and doing all the cardio and doing all the everything on skis and just, like, keep a bit of running for not losing it. But um, but then in summer it's it's only about uh, about running, 
before I was doing a lot of cycling too, but uh, not anymore for the last uh, 10 years, I would say. It has been mostly running, but then it's probably when I go to, to do my technical runs, it's more about climbing than running actually. So I'm, mm. I'm running, but I'm using the hands. I am using the, the upper body. And, uh, and that's, that's very different in terms of, uh, of movement too. So I would say at least one time a week, I do what I call like a technical run that is more like climbing. Okay. And are you focusing quite a bit on core strength exercises as well? Or do you feel like your strength comes from so much explosive climbing and that kind of thing? I haven't done core training for very, very long. And I, I started again when running in the roads because it, it makes a, a, a big difference. As I said before, the same movement, repetition, uh, it's a bigger impact. It's a different core that I need to work. So now I'm doing like three times a week uh, uh, core training. But before I, I, I did none of it, like I was just climbing. Okay. And how do you think the schema of which you've been a world champion multiple times plays into your running prowess as well is it more so the aerobic engine that you're generating or are there is there a large overlap in the muscle strength and endurance that you're developing i i think it's uh it's a lot of the aerobic base like huge aerobic base i think sports like ski mountaineering or like a cycling or cross-country skiing they they create a huge base of aerobic because you can train like a 30 hours a week on on a pretty high intensity without uh, without feeling sore in the muscles and that you cannot do on running so that that makes a big difference and then like ski mountaineering it's uh it's a pure bio to max sport like uh, you really were there because you are uh, using so much muscles on the legs on the arms uh, and it's always a steep uphill so it's uh you can't do better like on beauty max than like uh, on a ski mountaineering on because it's it's just pure it's it's what you work like in running i would say like you work maybe a 30 percent is a running economy 30 percent is beauty max uh, then like they like the threshold in a ski mountaineering like 80 percent is beauty max so uh you are working on that and and i think it's one of the activities that makes you work that the most so then when you go to running you have this, uh, yeah, it's, you have this uh, very well developed, uh, but uh, then for the legs, uh, it's not good. Like uh, ski mountaineering, you, it's a very slow movement. Uh, you have weight in the feet, you have like a one and a half kilo in each feet. So it's, it's not uh, perfect for the running shape, but uh, on the other way, like you can really work the aerobic capacity uh, during a, a period that is far away. Mm, and would you say that the strength that you're developing through having that weighted, uh, well, the weights on your feet and then also descending quite steep descents and working your legs, is that assisting with running descent a lot? Yeah, I, I would say the descent, it's, it's not about the strength, but it's about uh, visualization. Like, I believe, like, if you want to go, be a good runner, down like a, a downhill runner, you shouldn't focus much on, like, get strong legs, but you should focus on, like, how you visualize the downhills. It's about, like, how far you need to look 
to to identify the obstacles and and if you see like someone that is an obese he will look like on close to the feet to see okay here is a rock so i need to put the the feet in the side and here is another but you are always too late and if yeah. you you are a better runner like you can look like at 15 20 meters and memorize everything it's between these 20 meters and your feet and just like remember how you need to move the feet on that and just like go full gas because you are like really anticipating and that's something that when you are skiing you are working on it and like mountain bike downhill mountain bike like you are working that it's visualization so i would say that's that's for sure uh one key on on downhill and yeah of course like working in ski more with a weight in the feet like for uphill running it, it makes a big difference like the best uphill runners on a steep um slopes are are ski mountainers like uh remy bonnet david Magnini, urban zemmer they, they come from here and it's uh because mm -hmm. yeah you are always training in in very very steep slopes but under 20 degrees anti yeah under 25 20 degrees it don't have uh, any yeah it's not better okay and if anyone hasn't seen any videos i highly recommend looking up Killian on YouTube and checking out some of his running on ridges and descending. It's really impressive to watch. Is it true that you sometimes descend blindfolded in training to practice? I, I did see you recommend on a video for Sunto visualization with a blindfold yeah. and you were jumping over your daughter's baby seat. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, not for a full downhill, of course, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I believe it's a good exercise to prepare downhill is to you look the next uh, five, six meters and then uh, you remember, OK, it's a rock there and then uh, it's, a, it's a tree. So I need to do like uh, two steps, uh, very short and then a big jump. And then like I need to turn to the right to, to avoid these obstacles. And then you close the eyes and you do it. And, and it's, it's this kind of exercises that makes you uh, anticipate the obstacles. And I believe it's a good exercise. Okay. Well, yeah, be careful practicing that one, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I'd really like to ask about is nutrition. Uh, you were speaking about on the Everest mission before, you know, a crazy number of hours, 30, 40 hours, and just having a few gels. And I have read that on your Denali FKT, you had like one gel for a 12 hour um, ascent and descent. Is, uh, are you going out on these long runs on an empty stomach most of the time? And is that how you've gotten so efficient with oxidation of fat? I, I has been, yeah, I, I has been running or training a lot without food all my life. Like normally I don't carry anything to eat or, or drink when I go running. Uh, most of it is because like uh, you don't have assistance in the mountain, so it's not that you can go for a like. If you think, yeah, the best thing is like to take a, a gel every half hour, like 300 calories every hour. But uh, when you start counting how many gels you need to carry for like a 20-hour run in the mountain, is like I don't want to have a 10-kilo backpack only for gels. <laughs> so then it's like when you start to take less and, and to to be more efficient on like a uh, fat burning and um yeah especially for long adventures it's it's needed it's because we cannot carry that much uh, amount of of food then in races is different because you have like uh, assistance so you can eat as much as you want but 
for long adventures, it's it's important. Uh, and in races, are you taking advantage of that and eating quite a lot, or do you feel that because it's not something you're doing in training, you don't do it so much? No, in, in races, I I try to to keep on like uh, eating more, and and it makes a difference. Like, of course, you can perform better, you can like push harder, and then it's also important like uh, going through the race to to start doing some more specific trainings with, with more food so your stomach uh, can handle it. Okay, so there are particular sessions you'll do where you'll intentionally take on nutrition throughout. Yeah, exactly. Okay, sure. And you recently posted on Instagram um, about diet and also I, I read your memoir run or die a couple months ago really enjoyed it and you, you spoke about how back in the day in university you'd pretty much just be out running all day and skiing and then come home and eat tomato sauce and pasta is that still pretty much an accurate representation of what you're doing and how, how are you thinking about diet in terms of fueling yourself for such long efforts so consistently yeah it, it changed a bit i would say like mostly because first your body when you are 20 it recovers much faster it don't need much more like to to recover so and then like of course like uh when i was in the university like uh, i didn't have much money so it's like you buy like a uh, 20 kilos of pasta and you you just make that uh, but, uh, yeah, I would say my diet today is mostly like uh, carbs based, like, uh, it can be pasta, it can be rice, it can be potatoes, but it's, it's a lot on that because I, I need this for, uh, for the training and then it's veggies. Uh, uh, Emily, she has a huge garden here in the house. Uh, so we have veggies, uh, almost all the year round. So I would say, yeah, it's, it's mostly carbs and, and veggies. Uh, that's, that's all. And what's your go-to pre-race meal? Probably depends where I am. Like, uh, it's very different if, if you are in Asia or if you are in... Uh, but normally, I would say, like, yeah, uh, pasta or rice with some veggies. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think... I think it's important to keep it simple and to keep, like, the same routine. Like not to change things before a race. I think that's the worst mistake. Like people want to eat more before a race to to store more. And then it's like stomach problems because you change it. So I think it's just to keep what you are doing normally. Uh, I read, I think it was in the memoir or maybe somewhere else where you were talking about an experiment that you did in university where you... Unfortunately, the connection gets a little choppy for the next five to 10 seconds, but Tate's asking Kilian about an experiment that he conducted in university where he tried to train for as long as he could on his normal training routine while fasting, or in other words, not consuming any calories. Yeah, uh, I, I love to do these kind of experiments where like on a safety situation, so like at your home or like uh, in, a, in a safe environment, like you try to push your body to your limit to, to know to know yourself, to know, okay, uh, how can I push or how can I, what's my technical or my body limit on that specific thing. So actually that was about, um, about food. And I was interested in knowing how much I could like, uh, perform without any, any food. 
um, because like you never know, like maybe you go for a for a adventure in the mountain and something happens and you don't have food and you need to be there for like three, four, five days. So you want to know if you can survive or not. So I was basically doing that at home. So I just okay. took, uh, I, I just give all the food I had in my apartment to, to a friend and I was saying, okay, until I'm not uh, really, really, really like coming to you, uh, looking that I'm dead, uh, asking for the food, you don't give me anything. Uh, and then I start like training and I was training normally, like I was going for three, four hours in the morning and then uh, one easy, one hour easy jog in the afternoon. And actually it was fun that uh, the hunger, you, you manage that. Uh, the first day, the second day, I, I saw that I lose everything that was a speed, but I could keep the endurance. Uh, I could keep like doing the hours, but I had not the power to, to push hard. And that was uh, going on until the fifth day. And then I just, uh, I, I was running and I just passed out. Um, and it was okay. Like I was like, I think like five, 10 kilometers from my apartment. So it was in a place where like people is running. So uh, someone could fall, uh, find me. And, and then I, I went to, when I wake up, like I was going to my friend and, and start eating again. So now I know that, uh, yeah, okay, it's not a stress like if you are one day without food. Was that an easy run that you passed out on or were you trying to do a session on, no, on like, your fifth uh, day of fasting? <laughs> no, no, like I wasn't doing any kind of sessions at that point. Like it's, it was just like easy runs, endurance, like, yeah, but but never pushing. It, it was actually not possible to push hard. Uh, the The power was all down. Okay. Could you tell us about another experiment that you've done on yourself and how it turned out? Well, like, uh, uh, it was last year or two. Yeah. I think last year I, I was doing like the 24 hours on skis. So it was to see how many elevation meters I could do in 24 hours. Uh, so it was the same, like on a, on a slope, like close to home. And there I was eating like, uh, 300 calories per hour. Uh, to keep this um, high intensity uh, like uh, activity. So I was doing like loops on this slope like for for a day and, and I could do like almost uh, 24,000 meters. Or wow. uh, then um, uh, then like uh, also like uh, on with the mind, I would say like to, to put your body in some situations that you are looking for this kind of a stress on the mind to find where is the balance between yeah, when I did, it was, uh, I started running from home and running on a long loop on technical terrain, like the limit, yeah, like uh, maximum like five degree climbing. So it's something that I, I'm comfortable with it, but, uh, but it's exposed. Like uh, you are, uh, yeah, consequences are, are like you die. And I was doing that for um, for many hours, so actually uh, it ended up with a 100 miles run in 56 hours. So it was to see how the sleep deprivation was affecting the concentration in this technical yeah in this technical terrain. So after like 30 hours of running and climbing in technical terrain the sleep deprivation that makes you a bit uh, dizzy and it makes you a bit like clumsy. 
how how could I keep the concentration that I needed to 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 do this uh, technical stuff? And it was very interesting that finding lab that very short power naps, like a five minute power nap just before a very technical section, mm-hmm. it made the big big difference. So I could be uh-huh. very focused and concentrate for uh, the next three hours. Uh, and then again, like, or it was easy, or I need to do a very short nap before a very technical session uh, section. Okay, wow, that's awesome. Um, so I heard you say that if you weren't an athlete, you'd like to be a sports scientist. And I know that you read a lot uh, on physiology and psychology, biomechanics, but a lot of the research papers are quite theoretical. So I'm wondering which area of research that you've read up about has been the most beneficial when you've actually tried to implement it in training? Well, I, I think like all the case-based, um, like the evidence-based uh, studies are, are probably more close to the reality. So I would say all the studies that has been with athletes uh, here in Norway, it's a lot of studies with cross-country skiers that for long-term or like um, in athletics too, it's, it's many studies that they has been um, uh, with athletes. Uh, some books, uh, I would say like... Uh, is the book of uh, like uh, high intensity training. Uh, I think it's called like uh, theory and practice. It's very interesting because it's like the the scientific doc like uh, research, but also like the the practice side of it. Um, so I, I would say yeah, in general, like all the studies that uh, that are not only theoretical but they has is more yeah. Uh, case studies are, are very interesting, but as I said, like sometimes it's interesting to do, to get out of the box and say, okay, what if, like, on terms of acclimatizing, uh, for example, it's always they say like, theoretically, like in theory, you need to go up like 500 meters every day, and to stay there until the body it acclimatizes and, and whatever. That was the theory. But you say, why if we try something different, like to go up? 2,000 meters in the day, but spend low time and then go down so mm-hmm. you don't let the body to 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 have the effects uh, to see that. And sometimes you just need to try these things and then make the study. And I think that's that's very interesting to to just not think, yeah, to try, yeah. Uh, and in terms of training, uh, uh, that could be super interesting to like to say, I don't know, let's try to do like a, bo 2 max training like uh 12 sessions per week during uh four weeks to see what it <laughs> means uh, and yep. maybe probably it will be like uh, horrible uh but uh, i think it's it's interesting to do these kind of experiments and then like to see the the theory behind uh because i think we can learn much more about uh, how we can do or like the altitude training we we often think that altitude training is to be training at three, 4,000 meters of altitude in, in Kenya or in US. But why if we do like a training camp in, um, uh, in, in Tibet at uh, five, 6,000 meters and to see what this uh, makes. And I think that would be very interesting. So I think it's interesting to just explore these boundaries. Yeah, I hope you'll be leading one of those camps soon enough when this is all over and we can travel again. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think ex- like, yeah, like you said, putting 
all of the theory into self-experimentation with the n of one is where you're going to get the most important feedback and it's cool to see how much you're trying out new things on yourself um with all the extra time that you've had at home recently and uh, extra time to read what's an area of research that you're particularly interested in at the moment i i want to raise uh, something flat this year uh, so in the asphalt, and, and as I said before, I'm very bad on that. So actually, I has been reading mostly about like uh, athletics and and in the athletics part, like I know that my VO2 max, I will not improve. Uh, I will not improve my threshold because I has been working that for for years, but I can improve a lot on running economy. Uh, and so I has been reading mostly about running economy for the last uh, for the last month. Okay, and what are you thinking of testing out? Um, well, like it's uh, the problem of that is like you, it's such a big impact on the body. So I don't want to do stupid things like to get injured fast. So it's mostly to to take a easy approach. Uh, but uh, yeah, I has been reading mostly like what, yeah, which kind of exercises and which kind of uh, uh, training. So actually, I'm I'm doing a lot of track right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's how to improve like the, the running economy and and trying to to see what uh, what athletes do uh, to yeah to it's it's not secrets uh, like uh, you need to run you need to run fast and you need to improve that and that's that's what i need to do and and uh, I start with the basics start with like uh, short sessions and, and increasing the the amount of uh, of time at this speed but uh, yeah that that will take uh, some time yeah and could could you tell us uh, which race you're thinking of doing on the asphalt? Do you do you know yet? Uh, I don't know yet. Like uh, I I wanted to wait uh, a few months until I saw like uh, how the training was going. If I was able to, if I wasn't getting injured and these kind of things. But uh, and then now, like I don't think I don't know what races will happen actually. Yeah. So I was thinking to do something in the autumn. Um, but uh, I, I probably will need to see, like first, uh, yeah, which races are are happening and and which, uh, and then like in terms of the training, like depending how how I'm handling it, if I can train better, which distance I can do. But yeah, of course, it will be something about like a long distance. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to see how it all unfolds and what's happening in a few months. Yeah. Um, I I just want to ask. I know your Excel that's up on your site is just incredible and you've tracked everything it seems for the last 16 17 years um the detail of all the stats and figures that you've kept are really impressive I was wondering what do you think are the benefits of keeping such detailed data and how do you reconcile the I don't know the focus on stats and numbers and how it could potentially take away from focusing on how you're feeling and enjoying the moments that you're spending training up in the mountains. Well, I think when I'm out in the mountains, I, it's it's mostly about the feeling. So I I don't I'm not obsessed about looking to the watch. That I only do when I'm doing like my track sessions or like the speed. But when I'm out, it's more like, okay, I do my session. And when I go back home, then I record everything. So I'm focusing on the data afterwards, not when I'm in the activity. 
but then I think it's very important and interesting to record everything and it can be the distance, the, the intensity, but also the feelings. Uh, every more data you have, easier it is after to analyze. And, uh, and then you can see like uh, why you were good on that race or why it was uh, not going good. And we, when we think about the past, we always think about the good moments. So we always think, oh, this year I'm not going, I'm not doing well. I feel tired. I feel that is not working uh, well. But uh, when we have recorded everything, we can go back and look. Okay, no, I'm I'm improving this year, or I'm not. But it's because uh, that. So I think like more we have data, easier is after to to analyze why we perform better or worse. Okay, so you think it's something that amateur runners should also devote some energy to if they want to see improvements? Uh, yeah, I would say like if you don't, if you only like go out uh, and, and run and, and without any periodization and without any like uh, um, goal behind, it will be hard to improve. And if you are like periodizing, you are able to to put goals and to put like improvement on it. And of course, to be able to periodize, you need to see where you come from. And, and to do that, it's important to know, uh, yeah, what have you done and, and what are your bases? Uh, it's not the same to start training for someone that has been running like for uh, 1000 hours a year for one year or for five years or for 10 years. So I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's important to yeah, to know what you are doing to, to be able to improve it. Mm, and with those improvements and changing the way you're training, what's something that you used to do in training, but now you've stopped? Um, well, it hasn't been much about like uh, this, but it has been about like uh, changes. I, I used to do a lot of cycling before, but when I wanted to run more, I needed to quit, to quit um um, cycling because I needed to improve like my, as I said before, the running economy also like for for mountains, uh, or uh, like for example, like to try to do my easy runs easy. That's something that uh, that before my easy runs were like fast, and and then I saw that yeah, that's that's really uh, not good to do. Uh, so to try to do my easy runs easier, uh, to be able to do my harder runs harder. Um, yeah, and then like probably on more, it's more on periodizing to, to try to periodize better the, the weeks and to try to periodize better the, the blocks. Okay, so you went and trained at the age of 13 at the Catalonian Ski Mountaineering Center and your coach there was Jordi Canals, who became a major mentor for you. What was the most important lesson that he imparted to you? The best lesson they told me is it was not to focus on goals, not to think about winning races, but to just embrace the training lifestyle and, and to see it coming. Like uh, you are training because you enjoy training and then suddenly like after a few years, like uh, you become world champion. But, uh, but it's not about, uh, I think if you focus too much in the goal, then you don't like, you don't, uh, you are always in the frustration because uh, it's never arriving. It's never like, uh, easy it's it's always like hard and then the training becomes just like something that is not fun 
and it's just to to be in the opposite like to to enjoy the training and then like yeah uh, good things happen and what is it about pushing yourself so far to your physical limits in these extreme environments out in the mountains that you find so valuable to your physical and mental state well i, I don't think i don't know if it's a good thing or not i i mean like uh, <laughs> i i probably uh, yeah i wouldn't recommend like uh push yourself to these limits because it's uh, i would say like uh elite sport is not healthy like uh, if you want to do sport for health, you you will not be running like 200 k's a week uh, at high no. intensity because that will be probably damaging your articulations. Uh, if you want to to do like uh, skiing for fun, you will probably like don't want to ski very st- uh, steep uh, stuff uh, where you can uh, die because it's not like uh, the the first type. Uh, fun pleasure uh, and it's probably like uh, not worth it uh, if you want to climb mountains uh, for the beauty of it like uh, you can climb like of uh, with oxygen and that uh, because then it's only like the you get the, the postcard but you don't get the suffering so I would say like all the the sport in high level is not healthy but on another way like uh, uh, it's what I need to be alive. It's what I need to feel that I'm alive and to to live and to to feel like fulfilled. Uh, it's I, I think it's more about that and and to live. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like Jordi said, focus on the the process which you're enjoying, even if the outcome might not be <laughs> exactly yeah. what you're desiring. Exactly. You inspire a lot of people with your incredible feats and the incredible images that you're putting up, uh, which I really enjoy and definitely recommend that everyone check out Killian's Instagram. But what, if anything, are you hoping that your fans can take from what you're doing and apply to their own lives? Uh, well, I, I, I don't want to be... Uh, a mentor or I don't want to be someone that is uh, telling people what they should do. Um, I think everyone needs to find its own path. But uh, I would say like uh, the love for nature, like the love for outdoors and to realize that we are part of it. And with that, I hope like that we start to, to respect more the nature and to, to start to think that uh, we really need to take care of it if we want to, because we are part of it. It's not that it's nature and humans. Uh, we need to really realize that uh, that taking care of nature, taking care of the outdoors, it means at the end taking care of ourselves or space. Uh, that's uh, probably the yeah the main thing I, I want to transmit and I want to pass. Great, uh, it's such an important message, and you do such a good job of conveying that through your social media and through all your movies. And you've got your book coming out, which I definitely recommend people check out. My final question, which ties back in with what we discussed at the start is, so you've recently had your daughter. Uh, she just turned one, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so now that you've, you have your daughter and COVID has potentially changed what travel might look like in the foreseeable future. 
uh, and you're also speaking about the importance of the preservation of the environment. What, what are your projects going to be looking like going forwards? Are you expecting to be doing more long stints across the globe, like going back to the Himalayas and doing more climbing? Or do you have more local projects in mind? Well, for, for the moment, yeah, it's more local projects. It's, it's more like uh, training and staying home. Uh, I want to do climbing. I want to go to back to, to Himalayas. It's, it's a place I love it. But yeah, I, I think uh, I, I want to rethink my traveling too. Uh, I want to travel less. Uh, probably like to say, okay, it's thing we take for granted to be able to travel a lot all the time. Uh, I, it has been years that I has been racing like on all the five continents uh, and, and it feel natural, but it's not like it's, it's, I love the nature and I'm one of the biggest uh, threats on it because I'm traveling so much and I'm doing all this. So I, I, I want to keep doing adventures, but if I'm doing a travel, if I'm going to to the Himalayas or if I'm going to the Mer to US, I want that to be something special. Uh, so that means that it needs to be in in a small amount. It cannot be like a travels like uh, all the time. And I think that's that's part of it. Okay, I want to climb to the Himalayas, but uh, maybe that means that I will race less or I, that I will race uh, more locally. To be, yeah, to take this, uh, yeah, to take this travel uh, more meaningful. So I think at the future, uh, yeah, I I want to to have more thoughts on on what's my impact or what's the impact of my activities, and that means reduction, and probably that means that uh, uh, some things that I can do locally, it's better to do than to go to the other, yeah to another continent to do it. Great, yeah. I'd, you've shared so much really, really interesting stuff with us today. Amazing anecdotes and so much interesting information on your training. Uh, I'd really like to thank you for taking the time. It's been an absolute honor. Uh, cheers, Killian. No, thank you very much. Have a good day.